back to an on-the-scene Cotton Bowl Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Bill Landis, we're here in Dallas. We're going to be doing daily Buckeye Talks. It's Tuesday. We're doing it now. We're going to do one Wednesday. We're going to do one Thursday. And then we'll do one after the game, which is on, which is Friday. So you got four Buckeye Talks coming your way in Dallas. Tim Bielek's not here, um, so it's just the two of us. We'll get back to Tim when we get back to Columbus. We know you guys miss him. Um, but we have questions from you guys. We're doing a bunch of videos. We just did a Facebook, not a Facebook, a YouTube Live. We talked like for 45 minutes on that. We did a bunch of stand-up videos. We're kind of running out of things to say. <laughs> so we might just have to talk about food um, a lot. But again, it's Doug Lee Maurice and Bill Landis from Cleveland.com. How's your uh, cotton ball going so far, Bill? It's going well. Um I'm a very nervous flyer. My flight was very smooth. I got the emergency seat, aisle, aisle seat, and no one sat next to me, which is always great. Um, so it started off well, and we've been here for a day. And uh, it's going. I haven't had barbecue yet, so I can't say it's been going great, but it's been going pretty good. All right, so we're going to jump into questions, and then we'll talk about some other stuff uh, as it pops up. But at some point, we're going to talk more about what this game feels like and what the playoff has done to the bowl system. But let's not do that right away off the top in the okay. first daily podcast, unless the mood strikes us later on. My brain's um, too tired for that. Yeah, that's a little in-depth conversation. So why don't we start with E. Bronstein, Eric Bronstein, our guy. Always good questions. Do you foresee any staff changes, excluding adding the 10th assistant? Um, I think we may have talked about this briefly before. I think we both think Bill Davis may not be here. Um, yeah. And then beyond that, let me ask you this. It was in Columbus when Urban mentioned that Ryan Day mm-hmm. was like offered an SEC job, head mm-hmm. coaching job. And I don't really believe that. I don't. It would think- seem strange. He He's never been a head coach. He's never even been like a sole, well, I guess maybe a BC. I think he's always been like a co-coordinator. And he was a position coach in the NFL. So it, it was a little odd to me that and I'm, I'm assuming it's Mississippi State. I don't know what else it would have been. Um, that like we lost like Arkansas. Urban's, we lost a former Urban Meyer offensive coordinator, quarterback guy, and Dan Mullen. So we'll hire the new version of Dan Mullen, which is Ryan Day. Ryan Day, is, as I understand it, is a Mullen guy. I think probably before he's an Urban guy. Because they're both from New Hampshire, aren't they? Aren't Mullen oh, and Ryan yeah, Day both Mullen. from? I think like Mullen brought Ryan Day to Florida to be a GA. So while Day works for Urban, so he's now an Urban guy and was a GA for Urban in 2005 in Florida. I think he is more a Dan Mullen guy. So that Mississippi State would want to go to that tree again is, I guess, not all that surprising. But Ryan Day does not really have the pedigree of a guy who's ready to be a head coach in the SEC now. Maybe you applaud some outside-of-the-box thinking, I suppose, but that was surprising to me, and I also am skeptical of it a little bit. Uh, of that it was, hey, do you want this job? And he was like, no, I don't want a head job. Yeah. I'll stay here. It might have been like, hey, we'd like to talk to you about this job. Mm-hmm. And he said, listen, I'm not, you know, it's no. Because the whole point is you come to Urban Meyer Finishing School to be a head coach. So it's like, okay, well, if you only needed a year of finishing school and you'd be a head coach in the SEC, like you kind of got what you wanted. What are you sticking around for? So I think it, it must have been either like a crappy job, but it can't be a crap because Mississippi State's a good job. 
And they, so. hired, they hired Joe Moorhead. It's a, it's a great first job. Yeah. They hired Joe Moorhead, the Penn State offensive coordinator, who had been a head coach before at Fordham. Um, and is maybe a half step. I don't know. But I guess Ryan Day has been in the NFL. I don't know. And then Arkansas hired Chad Morris, who was an offensive coordinator guy, who then was the head coach at SMU. I don't know. I'm skeptical of it. But so I, but Ryan Day is going to be back. I think Ryan Day wants a second year finishing school. And then mm-hmm. a year from now, if this offense works and Dwayne Haskins really like emerges and Ryan Day's his position coach, then Ryan Day is in basically the exact same position that Tom Herman was and is ready to take a job like that. Yeah, that, that timeline makes, makes much more sense to me. Uh, other coaching changes. The weird thing about Ohio State's assistant coaches at the moment is that the only two who are Operating with contracts that go through next season are Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson. Everyone else has their contract expired. And that's I, I I wrote about this a little bit and I, I put some stuff on Twitter too. Like that's not anything to get super concerned over. These contracts often expire in April. Some of them expire at the end of January. Ohio State's assistants, pretty much since Urban has been here, have been operating on on two year cycles. Some of them one year cycles. So it's not. I think all the guys you want to be back will be back. But that's my way of saying there's an opening to make changes if you want to make changes in the same way that, like, Ed Warner wasn't fired. His contract was up, and he went somewhere else, but he was fired. And Tim Beck's contract was up, and he went to Texas. Like, guys don't get fired. They just don't get renewed. It's the same thing, um, essentially. They just don't like using the F word. Yeah. Um, so there is an opening to non-F word, guys. <laughs> Once uh, – once uh, once these contracts expire in January and April, but I think the only person who falls under that category would be Bill Davis. Yeah, he should probably be non-F word. Yeah. <laughs> John Darrow, at John Darrow 1, how important is it to win and look good in the bowl game for recruiting momentum? Uh, I mean, their momentum's pretty good. I, yeah, I think... Well, let me ask you that. You're, you're given the... So here's my question: Did they actually lose some recruiting momentum? Yeah, I just it's 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 I think they it just signing day was weird. It felt very much like a day in which Ohio State lost, even though when it ended and the early signing period ended, Ohio State had the number two recruiting class in the country. And maybe it just feels like they lost because they had the number one class. They had a guy lined up in Jackson Carmen, who I think a lot of people, myself included, thought was going to go to Ohio State. Um, I think you thought Emory Jones was going to be in the class up until like the last week. And a lot of things happened in a negative way for Ohio State on signing day and in the days leading up to it. And the guys they brought in, not to discredit them at all, but it was a three-star defensive end, um, a low four-star receiver. And I think that was it. They added two, right? Yeah. Um, and Alex Williams and Cameron Brown. So I think it does – it does feel to me like they've lost a little bit of something. Now, it's not – I'm not pressing the panic button. They have the number two country. But in terms of success against the best programs, the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Georgias, um, I think Ohio State took took a pretty big hit on National Signing Day. Now, I don't know how much of that you can get back by beating USC. I don't really think you can get any of it back by beating USC. I think it like, further perpetuates the narrative that Ohio State is trending down downward a slight bit if they lose to USC. Um, but I think, I think you want to like beat USC to kind of, I don't know if tread water is the right word, but, but there is, there is something I think around the team right now, a little bit of a, 
a little bit of a stale vibe, I think, going on with Ohio State compared to the, the other top programs in the country. That a win would certainly help, a loss would, would perpetuate that. But um, I think more than anything, like getting back to the playoff next year is, is what's most important in that regard. It's it's weird when you look at, and and this is hard. It's almost like I, I wonder if there'd be like a strategic thing of you have. I guess this, this is what silent commits are, but it's like I think there almost is a strategic thing to like when you get commits mm-hmm. and when they become public, because they had a lot of really good guys locked in, but they also lost some guys. So when you think about, they have the number two class right now, but here's who they don't have that you thought. At the very least, they might have or maybe even would have. They don't have Emory Jones, who was a four-star quarterback. They don't have Bretton Cox, who was a five-star defensive end. They don't have Micah Parsons, who's a five-star defensive lineman, who they're moving to middle linebacker at Penn State. Yeah, he was always kind of like a – that was one of the things about Micah Parsons in Ohio State was like maybe he wasn't totally a positional fit. Maybe he was better suited to be like a 3-4 linebacker. Now, Penn State doesn't run that defense either, but – yeah, that's not surprising that they would try Parsons at linebacker. So they lost um, they lost Jackson Carmen, a five-star offensive tackle. And again, lost might not be the right word. Some of these guys were committed at one point or were – Cox was committed. Jones was committed. The other guys were like very much involved with Ohio State. Jaden Woodbay too. Jaden Woodbay, who's a four-star defensive back. That's five guys. Brian Cook, who's like a five-star defensive back who is from Anthony Texas. Cook. Anthony Cook. Yeah. It was from Texas and went to Texas, mm-hmm. but there was a time when, like, people thought Ohio State was in good shape with him. Yep. That's six, like, super high-profile guys. Super high-profile. Yeah. Any of those guys actually might be – I mean, any of those guys would be one of the top guys in this class if they were in the class. Like, Jalen Gill's a really good recruit. Uh, yeah. Taren, Taren Vincent's a really good recruit. Um, they have some really good guys. Yeah, but any of those guys would be among your most high-profile recruits, and that's six guys you didn't get. And Woodbay, Jones, and Cox were straight up decommits, and um, Jackson Carmen was a guy you were kind of assumed about for a while, and then Parsons and Cook were two guys you thought you were in good shape with. So that's where the momentum is. It feels like, and it's like if they could, if they would have said, "Hey, listen, Jalen Gill." Act like you don't know where you're going, and then we'll sign you on December 20th. Then they would somehow have more momentum than they do right now because sure. Jalen Gill's a kid from the Columbus suburbs who was always going to go to Ohio State. But but part of it is real because you compared like to Georgia, and let's do a quick Georgia recruiting tangent because I feel I, I sort of forgot about this. We had done a signing day preview the week before signing day, which was December 20th. We had done that on December 13th. Then on for December 20th, our Buckeye Talk podcast, the last one you listened to about football, was a Cotton Bowl preview. So we do need on the podcast to sort of wrap up signing day because we haven't done a post-signing day podcast yet. Right. So that's what this is. So I'm glad we're actually doing this. I had not thought of this, but we need to do it. <clears throat> but Georgia, the team – Next to Ohio State, and this is Buckeye talk, of course we talk about Ohio State, but the next team that we talk about the most when it comes to recruiting in the history of Buckeye talk is Georgia. And Kirby Smart is taking care of business, man. It's unbelievable what Georgia did. They, they signed six five-star players uh, last week, 
And six, I was like, oh, I can't wonder when's the last time someone got six five star players like Alabama did it last year. Um, <laughs> so like it happens, but for Georgia to do it is is incredible. And a couple of them, I think three of them were players who were already committed that they expected to sign, and then three others, Brenton Cox included, um, were players who announced that day that they were going to Georgia. Two of them, like he, they got the number two player in the country, the number six player, the number 10 player, the number 16 player, the number 18 player, the number 23 player, and then getting into some four stars, they got number 33, number 39, and number 50. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine top 50 national players, which is absurd. And how many of the best kids in Georgia did they get? This is where we always hammered them for not keeping talent home. It's the same argument we've had about Rutgers in New Jersey. It, it's it's how can you be a state with lots of talent? And Georgia honestly has about as much talent per capita as any state mm-hmm. in the country when it comes to high school football. How can you not dominate your home state? And Mark Richt did not dominate the state of Georgia in recruiting. And is Kirby Smart now dominating his own state? Yeah, he is. So the number one player in the state was Trevor Lawrence, a quarterback who's going to Clemson. But there were three really good quarterbacks in Georgia. One was Trevor Lawrence. One was, Actually, there were four. One was Trevor Lawrence. One was Justin Fields. One was Emory Jones. And one was Jaron Williams. And Georgia got Justin Fields, who's number two player. He's number two quarterback in Georgia. He's the number two overall player in Georgia. The Penn State decommit. Penn State decommit. So they didn't get number one, but they got number two, three, four, five, and six. Um, number eight has not not yet committed. And then nine went to Alabama, ten went to Notre Dame, seven is Emory Jones, who went to Florida. So they didn't take everyone. Like if you look at Texas, te- I think Texas has every player in the top ten in its state. I think the Longhorns have signed all, every top ten player. Tom Herman went ten for ten. I'm, I'm, I'm looking wow. up in a second. I'm pretty sure he went ten for ten. Georgia did not go ten for ten in Georgia, but it got five of the top six. Okay. Um, which is still I – mean, Which is not historically what Mark Rick was doing there. No. And he was winning 10 games a year, but the reason he wasn't winning SEC titles was because he wasn't getting – he wasn't going five for six in Georgia. And this is one of those things. This is <laughs> okay, why – I lied. He didn't go 10 for 10. But so last year in – This 20, Texas In now. Texas. In 2017, Texas didn't sign any of the top 10 players in its own state. Ohio State got three of them. Um, this year, Texas got number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, number seven, and number ten. And the other ones that I didn't list are not committed yet, so they can still get them. Wow. And so this is this is why this is worth talking about on Buckeye Talk because if Kirby Smart had done what he did this year in 2014, guess who would have gone to Georgia? Raquan McMillan. Mm-hmm. If Kirby Smart wasn't the coach right now, if Mark Richt was still the coach at Georgia, guess who would be going to Ohio State? Brenton Cox. If Tom Herman had been around a year earlier, guess who wouldn't be at Ohio State? Jeffrey Okuda and Baron Browning and maybe J.K. Dobbins. And if Tom, if Charlie Strong were still at Texas, guess who would be an Ohio State Buckeye? Anthony Cook. This is why this stuff matters, because Ohio State plucks. They try to own Ohio, and then they pluck. And they've been really good pluckers. But the fewer plucking places there are, the less plucking you can do. And if you can't pluck, guess what you are? I can't say it on a podcast. (laughs) So plucking matters. 
plucking really, really matters. And when you're trying to pluck from the most talent-laden states in the nation, if Georgia is a home state school and they're not getting it done, that matters. If Texas is a home state school and they're not getting it done, that matters. I'll be curious to see how much – I mean we know Urban Meyer likes Florida. Are they going to go bazonkers in Florida now? Because Florida and Florida State are both in transition. Does that matter? Is that an opening? Like the U is back a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Rick, for what we're saying about Rick recruiting at Georgia, he had a good class at Miami, I think, this year. But Willie Taggart, I think, is a good recruiter, but that's a change at Florida State. Dan Mullen is an upgrade from Jim McElwain, but it's still a transition at Florida. Can you can you take advantage of any of this to get in there? Or if Willie Taggart, if Jimbo Fisher was kind of running out of juice there, and Florida has been a cluster since Urban Meyer left. If Dan Mullen gets Florida back to where it should be, all of a sudden Florida is going to be a much more difficult place to go. So now all of a sudden you can't go to Georgia. You can't go to Texas. What if Florida is more difficult? We've talked a little bit about them going into Tennessee. Tennessee's a cluster right now. Maybe that's a place you could go. Do they try to go to Louisiana if, if, if Coach – O is not getting it done to the level that LSU has been getting it done at times there. Mm-hmm. You see they're in Vegas. Will they go to California more? Um, all this, but Chip Kelly's now at UCLA. Like all this stuff does affect Ohio State because they're not getting a ton of kids there. But like those one, two, three, four kids maybe per class that you pluck, sometimes that's the difference between making the playoff and not, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's yeah, that is it's it's the difference I think for a lot. It's a difference for any program like Ohio State who can't solely rely on its own state to build an elite elite recruiting class like Georgia can obviously, and all the Florida schools can, and Texas can. Um, so yeah, I, I, and I think it's a step too far at the moment to say that like the the landscape of Ohio State recruiting as we know it is changing, because I think we need to see the 2019 cycle first, and I do think that. Even with the coaching changes in Florida and there's some hot names in there and, and they're all really good recruiters that the door is probably still open there for another recruiting class for Ohio State to do as well as it's always done in Florida. And I think Urban Meyer to a certain extent will always do well down there. Ohio State's always recruited Florida a little bit. There's some tradition down there. They have some pipelines. Um, so I think Florida will always be open. It could just be less open than it has been in the past. Um, but the 2019 cycle in my mind is very important to sort of monitor where Ohio State goes and ultimately where Ohio State wins because I think the places that they've won a lot in the past aren't going to be as friendly as they have been. We're almost 20 minutes in. We try not to talk about time as much as we used to. We're not going two hours on these things because we're doing daily podcasts while we're down here. We're trying to go more on half an hour. We'll see how that goes. Mm. I have a feeling it's not going to go very well. And we also like to divide – well, no – not necessarily divide, so we're not going to divide. John Darrow's second part of that recruiting question was this. As it relates to deciding where to eat, is it the dessert menu, the appetizer selection, or the entree specialty of the restaurant that matters most in figuring out where you're going to go? Definitely not dessert. I'm not a huge dessert guy, and I've never picked a restaurant because of the dessert. Um, that's a good – the other two, though, are, I think I've definitely picked restaurants for appetizers. I'm a very big appetizer fan. Um, I think more often than not, the appetizer might sway me than the entree really? slash specialty of the house. Yeah, you know what's big for me? The booth. Ooh. a mm-hmm. big wooden, like the booth is wooden, but the seated the seat is padded. Mm-hmm. 
is is just the height of luxury to me. Yeah. And so I almost don't care what I'm eating. Like you like a good corner booth. Good corner booth is yeah. good. Like you know who I like who has good booths. And I think that these carry through across chain restaurants. They have the same like they have the same booth guy. Yeah. That sets yeah. There's up, one right? booth guy who makes a booth for every chain restaurant. Hoolahan's has good booths. Mm. Like a really, I like the like the dark wood makes me feel a little bit fancy. I'll pay like a extra dollar for the entree if the wood's dark. <laughs> so a good padded booth is very important to me. But then I think it's probably the entree. Because here's the thing, and this was like a curb your enthusiasm episode like 15 years ago. The go to go to a second place for dessert. Mm-hmm. Like, is that are you into that? Uh, I've, I've, I'm not opposed to it. Again, I'm not, I'm not huge on dessert, but yeah, I would. I'm not ever like, oh, let's go wherever because the, their uh, chocolate lava cake is awesome. Like, I'm not – dessert is, is never part of the equation when I'm picking a restaurant. And I think I would prefer – I like to change the scenery. I like to walk off the meal a little bit and then, like, go get some ice cream somewhere. Yeah, because you, you can always stop for ice cream. Yeah. And you're really going to have to give me something because that dessert – you know that dessert's going to be seven fifty. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get you on dessert. I don't want a seven fifty dessert when my entree was $14. I don't right. want to pay half as much for the meal for the dessert. When I can get an ice cream cone for two ninety nine somewhere. When you, you know? when you make the decision to go to the cheesecake factory, what's the driving force? It's not the cheesecake. Actually, okay. it's not for me either. But I think for a lot of people, it is. Yeah, because I can't. Because that's the thing. You can't. It's the the portions are so huge there. It's like I can't commit to the cheesecake. I got to see how I'm feeling. Because mm-hmm. I also like the apps there. I love the apps there. Yeah, I want to get an app and an entree, and I don't. I don't think I'm a large man. I don't. It's hard to go app entree, whole slice of cheesecake. I even I don't do that, and I'm the size of two men. Yeah. (laughs) You can always share the cheesecake, though. I I like sometimes, (laughs) but then there's a fight. Sometimes I think let's get the wife, me, and the two kids will share one piece of cheesecake, and then there's a fight because there's thirty different kinds, and everyone has the cheesecake day one. So that's why we can't go there anymore. The Cheesecake Factory. There's too many fights. <laughs> the Chase Richardson. So what's this thing on Twitter that everyone can make their name real long? Oh, really? It's like a new thing. Everyone makes their name real long. The Chase Richardson. I think it's the Chase Richardson who sold the world. Chase. Chase his name to that. The Chase Richardson who sold the world. How long do we expect Shiana to stick around? One more? I think one more. I'm trying to think. You've been keeping tabs of the jobs that are open. Are there any jobs still open? Like besides, like even Kent State hired somebody, right? Yeah, all the, like all the, all the Power Five jobs are gone. I think there were eleven, and they're all gone. And obviously, he's not going to go for anything that's not a Power Five. Yeah, and I don't, like and I don't think he'd go. I don't think he'd go to the NFL for one year to come back and be a college head coach. So I think Shiano's around for one more year, and then we'll do this all again next December. Yeah. The one thing that could happen, and I know other people have mentioned this, is like Bill Snyder retires. <laughs> I did see that actually. The I saw someone suggest there could be as many as fourteen NFL head coaching changes, and not that I think Greg Schiano is going to get an NFL head, but if there are some college guys who get NFL head coaching jobs, yeah, there's like the pool yeah. for NFL coaches is considered thin, right? And then you're going to start, you're going to restart the whole. Coaching carousel because how great would it be if Willie Taggart like goes to coach the Bucks next year? Can you imagine? Like, I mean, it goes to coach the Bucks in like a month. In a month like, has, four, has four jobs in one year. Yeah. yeah, and his kid was like, "Daddy, are we gonna move?" He's like, "No, son, I love you too." Oh, wait, how many million? How much million? Yes, yeah. we're moving. Here, you can have a you have an Xbox and a PlayStation. Shut up. I don't mean shut up. It's a, it's an emotional decision for coaching families. Yes. But here's the thing about the emotional 
coaching decision and for coaches' families. And I know that coaches' families sacrifice. Here's the thing about their sacrifice. Their sacrifice is met with millions of dollars. You'll be fine. (laughs) Should Christmas dinner just be Thanksgiving 2.0 or should the foods be different and separate? I like Thanksgiving 2.0 because I am of the belief that we don't eat turkey enough. We don't eat mashed potatoes and stuffing enough. So I like that we get them. They're they're the featured dish within a one-month period. I feel like that that we already say this that should be our Buckeye Talk meet and greet. A Thanksgiving is a dinner. Thanksgiving dinner in like February. Yeah, at your house. Is that okay? Ask Leah. Yeah, we don't have any room for a dining room <laughs> table, but sure, we can all sit on the floor. How big of a deal is the Alex Grinch hiring? Which is not official, but it's like, of course, it's going to happen because everybody's reporting that it's going to happen. I don't know. I think it's interesting. I'm I'm curious to see the shuffle of coaches. I think it becomes very clear what the shuffle would be. If Bill Davis is not here, then you can have Greg Schiano coach the linebackers, Alex Grinch coaches the safeties. Everyone's a co-defensive coordinator. Um, but if they keep – if if Davis is truly – or not Davis, if, if uh, Grinch is truly the 10th and Davis is still on, I don't know how they're going to do that. I think the reason the Alex Grinch hiring is a big deal is because he's Shiano's replacement. Yeah. It's just he's coming a year early because the situation allows it. But I think when Greg Shiano leaves, Alex Grinch is going to run Ohio State's defense. And that is a huge yeah, fucking deal. I think so. So they got to, like you said, the shuffle will be interesting and how duties are assigned, but he is going to be a defensive coordinator in waiting. He might even get the co, as we discussed before. But that's a that's that's a big thing because you're going to be trusting somebody new to I'll, do that. I'll be curious, too, to see how he changes the money for these because I think he makes $600,000 a year at Washington State. Now, he could move to Ohio State without the promise of a pay bump because it's just a better job. Um but I would imagine it's coming with a pay bump. So, and six hundred thousand is more than everyone on the defensive staff makes outside of Greg Schiano. So, I would I'd be curious to see if that what that means raise wise for the other assistant coaches and how much of a raise Alex Grinch might might get to make the move. Gene Smith has been reluctant on the million dollar assistance. You spoke with him specifically about that. Yes, a couple months ago, right? Like yeah, last last, last, last year, last year. But we're it, we're getting to a world where like we're talking about. Almost $2 million assistance, they're going to mm-hmm. be there soon. Doesn't Michigan have $3 million assistance? Michigan is – yeah, they're the only one with three. I think and they're the only one in the Big Ten, I think, that has at least $1 million assistance. I think Jim Levitt, the Oregon defensive coordinator who stayed after Taggart left, I think maybe people thought he might go with Taggart or something. I yeah. don't know. But he stayed. I think he's, he, he's at 1.7. Yeah, Dave Aranda, I think, an LSU defensive coordinator, I think is 1.8. So, I mean, it's like, okay – is Ohio State's defensive coordinator going to make one-third what LSU and Oregon defensive coordinator makes? It's like they're going to have to get to a million. Yeah. What are some under-the-radar X factors for this game from Chase? Four questions from Chase. Well done, my under friend. Under-the-radar X factors. Who? Um, I think Ronald Jones is. I think like we're going to end up, and I'm going to, I'm writing a lot and talking. We're going to write a lot about Sam Darnold, and partly because of the connection to he could he be the future quarterback of the Browns. But I think that that dude is a legit. He was all pack first team all pack twelve running back, and so if you only think that USC is going to throw it, um, I think that's I think he could hurt Ohio State 
depending how things go. Um, and then I thought it was interesting how honest, and maybe, I don't know, he's just maybe just saying nice stuff. I really like this Chris Hawkins kid who's fifth-year senior starting safety captain for USC. He said, like, he's not very fast, but he's got to be really smart. He studies a lot of film. He, he said in his whole career, this is his fifth year, Ohio State's receivers are the fastest receivers he's seen. And so I know it's like we talk a lot about Ohio State's receivers this year. I think most Ohio State fans think they're good, they're fine. I don't think most Ohio State fans believe this is a game-breaking group of receivers. We know Paris Campbell here and there has made some big plays. This guy's saying, I mean, it's like, could Ohio State's receivers win this game by, like, I don't know, taking short passes and going nuts? Like, we think we think it very well may end up being a game where Ohio State runs a lot, but I'm curious to see. He was very effusive in his praise of Ohio State's receivers, and Ohio State actually throws the ball better than every team that USC has faced other than Washington State and UCLA. And USC got roasted by both those passing attacks. Yeah, I guess one for me would like who is who's the guy who's like consistently going to get behind USC's defense because I think we we've been waiting to see that for three years um, from Ohio State's receivers and and it's always it seems like a different guy does it each week and I would like to see or I think it'd be good to see one guy consistently get behind the defense. I'm just looking at USC's passing numbers. They've given up 25 pass plays of 30 yards or more, which is 114th in the country. There are 130 teams. Um, and they've given up 52 pass plays of 20 yards or more, which is 122nd in the country. This is a defense that will let you get some major yards through the air. And I'm not talking about Paris Campbell taking a bubble screen and running 70 yards, although that could probably happen too. I want to see, like we saw Johnny Dixon and K.J. Hill and Terry McLaurin get behind the defense a little bit against Wisconsin, but none of those guys do it consistently. And I want to see if someone finally flashes in this game and does it consistently. DeLillo at Douglas. DeLillo, what's the worst Christmas gift you've ever gotten? My aunt one year got me a yellow sweatshirt, plain yellow sweatshirt. I've never wore it. She That same aunt, I'm not going to say her name, she doesn't listen, <laughs> but she doesn't know how to work a cell phone. She also got me socks. Which is like, that's like the stereotypical, like, oh, I got socks for Christmas. But she got me, like, uh, white old man socks with, like, gray patches on the heels, which are fine. I would wear them now because I think it's just good to have your feet warm. But I was, like, 12 when she gave them to me and worried about what people thought about what I wore. And uh, it was a terrible gift. Wow. Socks and a yellow sweatshirt from the same person. Different years. How about that? That's one of those things I try to tell my kids that, like, there are things that you can do in life when you're trying to, like, just get by and whatever, but like you, you just don't want to like do things that like you never want to be someone's story about that. Yeah. So it's like, oh, maybe she was like, oh, well, I don't know. This yellow sweatshirt is be fu- it's fine. Here you are. Here I'll, I'll never, later. I'll never forget. It was yeah. Like, yeah. It was like something Charlie Brown would wear without the black swiggle on it. Just like go to the other store and just get the blue sweatshirt. Yeah. You know, it's because it was. Yeah. If it was, I think if it was any color other than yellow, I wouldn't have remembered it. But it was yeah. bright yellow. Yeah. I, I'm i going to change it because I gave a gift. The thing that stands out for me is one – I think it was the first year after my wife and I were married. I got her like a crystal dog, mm. like a little figurine that they have animals of that's crystal. And it was kind of expensive. And I was like, oh, she likes dogs and like this will be like a thing. And she like was like, do you like even know me? It was like one of those almost like, should I just leave you right now? Because you have no understanding of me as a person if you're going to buy me a crystal dog for Christmas. 
And I was like, but it's a, you like dogs? And she, no. Does so she like, still have it? No, she turned, she took it back like the next day. Nice. I respect that. Like, and just like laid it down. Like yeah. there's no, like, so. Are you, are you upset that that happened? Or are you glad to have learned the lesson? No, no, no. I'm glad I needed to learn the lesson. But my she, my wife is just not like a that. I mean, some people would like that. She just is like, why would you spend money on this just so I can have a crystal dog like sitting on? A, what am I gonna do with it? Yeah, that happened to me one time. It wasn't for Christmas, and I'm not married. But my girlfriend, like when we first started dating, was like, I don't like flowers. I'm like, that's just something girls say. Yeah. And then I bought her flowers, and she came very close to breaking up with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you don't know yeah. me. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. It feels like, and we're just confused. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, this is a good one by uh, by K. Rambaman, unless it's Crabman. He's asked questions before. K-R-A-N-B-M-A-N. Where would you rank Kyle Snyder in the pantheon of all-time Ohio State greats? I don't, how many Olympic gold medalists does Ohio State have? I mean, so the hard <laughs> thing is, so like the greatest, you will never top Jesse, Jesse Owens, Owens for the greatest athlete. Because like he's... He's in the argument for like the greatest athlete in American history, so he's definitely the greatest athlete in Ohio State history. And then also Jack Nicholas. So oh, yeah, he was good. So like you have and I remember when they did like I think ESPN did like Sports Century or whatever, like at the turning of the century. I think Jack Nicholas and Jesse Owens were both in the top ten hmm. all time of like the greatest American athletes of the century. And it's like they two of the top ten yeah. went to Ohio State. But honestly, after that, and, and I apologize if like I'm said, so there's some glaring thing that that I'm missing that I'm going to be stupid about. But like you take away those two guys who are like, th- like all timer, all timer, all timers, and I absolutely think Kyle Snyder's in the conversation because it's it's just you have to think about it a certain way. But it's like, okay, I like John Havlicek. Or Jerry yeah. Lucas, or like or Archie or, Griffin. or Art, yeah, you know, and like football players, it's a football school, and football players don't win Olympic gold medals, so like that's a hard thing. Basketball players can win Olympic gold medals, um, but like I think because I think the thing you're talking about is greatness within your sport. We're not asking if Kyle Snyder is a, we're not going head to head with Archie Griffin, but we're talking about the greatness that you possess compared to your contemporaries in your chosen field. And Kyle Snyder is an Olympic gold medalist and very well may be a may win more and is a dominating figure on the world stage in his chosen sport while he is still a student at Ohio State. And that is just an unbelievable thing for a person to do. And so he has so much left in his athletic career as a wrestler and he already has a gold medal. I think he's absolutely in any conversation you have behind Jesse Owens and Jack Nicholas. Yeah, I think I agree. I was just looking up. I wanted to be short because I don't I don't know a ton about women's women's basketball, but like Katie Smith was one of the voted one of the WNBA's top fifteen players of all time, and she's a gold medalist, right? So she also belongs in the conversation. Yeah, and this would be like it's just like one of those things, that, and, and most of us would come up with a list that's a, a similar list. Yeah, but this would be a worthy a worthy off season kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty clear season. he's not Snyder's not one, but the conversation beyond that is still interesting. Yeah. Um, is Cond- Do you know what Condado's is? It's a taco place in Columbus that I haven't been to yet. Can we get a little love for the gloriousness that is Condado's on the podcast? All hail the Juju Shell from Joe N. Nashville. 
So that's a where is it? Uh, I don't know if there's more than one, but the one I know is on High Street in Short North. All right, we got to go. Yeah, we can go. I think Billy Price is a big fan. Really? As is everyone else in Columbus. Like, it's a place we should have gone to by now. It's really? actually kind of a It's on us? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I do like Mexican food. What's, yeah. I don't know if anyone had ever asked us this. What is your ranking of, like, whatever ethnicity of food in terms of, like, Mexican, Italian? Um, uh, <laughs> what are, what what are, are other ones? Uh, it, like, Asian, Asian food, foods. like, Korean food. Chinese food, Japanese food, and I know, and also for you, Canadian food. Canadian food, yeah. Um, Mexican food is probably number one. Um, I'm still, I, I still need to break out of my shell a little more when it comes to, to trying more ethnic foods. Um, but like I certainly, and I like, like, I don't know, I've never had real Chinese food. I've had American Chinese food, so I don't know what actual real Chinese food is. I don't know if I'd like it or not. But like what they serve in America and call Chinese food, I like. Yeah. Um, I like. Uh, I had something I wanted to say. Oh, yeah. Can, yeah. Well, Canadian food, I like poutine. Poutine's delicious. It's one of the top 10 greatest foods on the planet. Um, <laughs> what else have I had? Are there any Canadian food restaurants other than Tim Hortons? Can you, you should open yeah, that. There's, Canadian there's food. Tim Hortons and Smokes Poutinery. <laughs> yeah. Smokes Poutinery two. is a real thing? Or is that like from a movie? No, it's a real thing. I went to one of the, I think it's a chain, and I actually think if like, there's anyone in Canada listening probably thinks it's trash. I think it's like going to McDonald's. In Canada, it's like going to Smokes Poutinery. <laughs> Where did you go to Smokes Poutinery? In Canada? Toronto, yeah. But now there's actually one in Philadelphia. Really? Yeah. Are you going to become the first Smokes Poutinery franchisee in the Columbus area? I'm surprised there isn't one because there's so many Tim... I feel like what's in Canada comes to Columbus. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why, but if there's Tim Hortons, there should be a Smokes. <laughs> I don't know if I could... I don't think I could say Smokes Poutinery. <laughs> Smokes poutinery. A poutinery is poutinery. a place. Yeah, it's a good word. Yeah, it's a place for poutine. <laughs> I never knew that that was. Yeah. Name a place where you serve poutine. Does <laughs> poutinery. poutinery? I did not know that. That's where that was. Yeah. I would have maybe said like a poutine hut. <laughs> Chris McKee. He's asked a couple questions. We'll get to them over the next couple days. But one is, what's your go-to Chinese dish? Mine is definitely Kung Pao. I get Kung Pao everywhere I go. General So's. But that's not spicy, right? Kung Pao is spicy. General So's is more in the middle. General So's can be spicy. There's, there's definitely some like red pepper in play, but it's not. Kung Pao is more spicy. I don't really like Chinese. I like Chinese food, but I don't really like it if it's not spicy. I think it's really easy to mess up, too. And then it's gross. Jordan Steele, always loyal with the questions, is the Grinch a replacement plan for Shiana? We've covered that. That is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Can we agree not to call him the Grinch, by the way? No. It's just the guy's last name. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Kenny Stabler at Beats Bledsoe. (coughs) Leftover pizza. Eat it cold or reheat it? Ooh. Uh, I do both. I used to be a hardcore eat it cold person. Really? But then my brother was like, have you ever reheated pizza in a frying pan? And I was like, no. And then I tried it. It's awesome because you get like a very crispy crust. Um, so I like a reheated pizza in the frying pan. Because he said you reheat it in the microwave or in the oven, but you're going frying pan. Frying pan. One slice in the frying pan. I would rather I would rather cut off my finger than reheat pizza in a microwave. I don't – yeah, that's not yeah, – that's disrespectful to the pizza first and foremost. Yeah. And then to yourself. But I definitely am a reheat. I, I feel like – I mean like a co- – the, the cold pizza is like a college deal, right? I mean is that – when there's no like heating utensil in your dorm room, yeah, you eat the leftover cold. It's not even cold pizza; it's room temperature. 
Yeah, but now, but room temperature pizza is different than cold. Like, I, do you put your pizza in the fridge when you're saving it? You can't yeah. just leave it out, right? Yeah, put it in the fridge. Yeah. So you can't. Would you pull a piece of pizza out of the refrigerator? Yeah, you would. See, yeah. I, that's too cold to me. No, I like. It. I think it depends on where the pizza's from, but yeah, I do, I've definitely done that. I lost uh, where all the questions were. Hold on a second. So anyway, you guys can always send us questions at Doug Maurice, at Tim Bielek, at Bill Landis 25. Do you think Baker Mayfield's the next Johnny Manziel, by the way? John Dayton asked that at Johnny D 1910. I do not. I think Baker Mayfield's going to be really good. I think the Manziel comparison is so flawed because we never saw Johnny really play. Johnny didn't fail because he was a bad quarterback. Johnny failed because he didn't study the playbook. He partied too much, and he had issues off the field that l- drove him out of the league. We, we never got – the idea that, like, Baker Mayfield's the next Johnny Manziel is, like, what? Is, like, does that – do you think Baker Mayfield's going to, like, fake a concussion and fly to Vegas in the middle of a the week? Then just because he grabbed his crotch yeah. doesn't mean he's going to have, like, substance issues that are going to keep him from playing football. So I think it's a bad comparison. I think it's even a bad comparison, like, as a quarterback – but if the main thing is like, oh, he's a Big Twelve guy who was was cocky, and the other guys, I mean, it's I think it's like nonsensical. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think it's even Johnny for all his problems. Like when he had it together, like he flashed a little bit, and I think you could see that maybe he, if everything in his personal life was in order, maybe he could have been a successful NFL quarterback. Um, so I think the same thing about Baker. I know Baker Mayfield got arrested. I think he was. It wasn't a DUI because he was running from the police, but I think it was a drunken public of some sort. Um, so maybe that that's like he got arrested one time and people think that he's Baker or Johnny Manziel because of that. Um, that's not the excuse getting arrested, but I don't think he can draw that straight up a line. Um, so no, I don't I don't I don't think they're similar outside of the fact that uh, they're shorter white quarterbacks from the Big Twelve who act a little cocky on the field. Um, I think Baker Mayfield has much more of an NFL skill set even than Johnny Manziel had. Chad M said a million questions. We'll get to a bunch of them. Um, we'll get to a bunch. We'll get them over the course of the week. We're going to end with two here. At Sneela187 is Chad M, who for some reason uses my head as his avatar. Love it. This is a great question. Preseason Ohio State football was all Kevin Wilson, Kevin Wilson, Kevin Wilson. Now it's Ryan Day, Ryan Day, Ryan Day. What happened? I get a lot of that stuff, um, and a lot of it's from the same person. And I think they listen to the podcast, and I forget your name, so forgive me. But I've gotten a few, like, does Urban not like Kevin Wilson? Why does Urban always give Ryan Day more credit than Kevin Wilson? Um, and I never really viewed it that way, but I guess now that if I could think back on the season, it did seem like Day's name came up more um, than Kevin Wilson's did. So I don't know. I don't – I think – I don't know what to think of it. I, I Part of it might be that like Ryan Day is, a, is an up-and-comer and Urban wants to pump him up a little bit. Um, part of it just might be that Ryan Day truly brought more to the offense than Kevin Wilson did. Um, but Kevin Wilson is still the play caller. I think part of the reason he was brought in here was like to, to smooth out the play calling a little bit. And Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson are both involved in that. But I think it was just – it became surprising, I think, the extent to which Ryan Day really put his stamp on the offense. So um, – Maybe it feels a little more like he's had more of an impact than Kevin Wilson just because our expectations for Kevin Wilson were much higher. It doesn't mean Kevin Wilson has been a failure, 
by any extent, or even I, in my opinion, I think he's mostly lived up to what I expected of him. It's just that we didn't really have expectations for Ryan Day because we didn't know anything about him other than he worked with Chip Kelly with the Philadelphia Eagles and San Francisco 49ers. And so, like, anything he did good would have been surprising. I feel like early on with Kevin Wilson, we were talking about, like, some of the tight end routes and stuff that they might throw, that he liked to use the tight end. Mm-hmm. At previous stops, I remember looking, I think, even in spring ball, it was like, oh, when we got to watch a little bit, they were throwing some passes to the tight end in a different way than maybe they had before. And we thought, ooh, we're going to see that. Mm-hmm. And then Marcus Baugh has had a good second half of the season, and they have thrown to him. But it feels like about the, this, the whole mesh route stuff, like they ended up using just some of the routes and stuff that clearly like were Ryan Day influenced that we talked about a lot at least and then Urban did talk about to some extent and actually that some of those routes have faded a little bit mm-hmm. but as we sort of talked about at the time that Ryan Day was saying we're going to do this teams are going to adjust then we adjust off that but like a lot of the things that we you saw the Johnny Dixon touchdowns are kind of off routes that were credited to Ryan Day so that got a lot of pub it's a little weird that like Ryan Day coaches a super high profile position and like Kevin Wilson barely coaches a position so, like, that comes – it's not like – like, Ryan Day has talked about in connection with JT Barrett, but it's not like we're asking a lot of questions about uh, Kevin Wilson and Marcus Ball because Kevin Wilson nominally is the tight ends coach. Right. So, I think a lot of it is just the way it gets talked about, and it's things like that. Um, and I don't know that it's an indication of anything, but I know you were on Ryan Day early as a sharp offensive mind, and I think – that has been proven out more than anything else that, like, yeah. this, this guy is a real dude who's probably going places. Last one from Chad M, and then we'll end it. Again, send us more questions this week. Chad M is just trolling me with this question. Consider the <laughs> following scenario. Urban takes some NFL job after the bowl and takes his entire staff. After the coaching turnover, there are no ideal candidates. Gene Smith scrambles and finds a coordinator with Ohio ties at a blue blood school. He hires Tim Beck. <laughs> what happens? <laughs> I think- uh, we we wrote a, a a series about was it before the 2016 season? Like, how, is Ohio State the most indestructible program in college football because it has always avoided the mega down year <laughs> while usually uh, competing on the national level, and no other program has been able to do that as steadily as Ohio State has. Um, that would be the destruction. That would, we didn't like. We didn't have a like. There wasn't a section of the series that said like hire Tim Beck, um, but that would be it. Yeah, yeah. First of all, is that I would be banned from covering the team, and then yeah. second of all, they go four and eight. So yeah. yeah, that's what happens. Ohio State would lose to Youngstown State. Um, and let's end on that. Let's end on a Tim Beck note. So we have a bunch of stuff. Come in the rest of the week. Please go to cleveland.com and read it. Please go to our YouTube channel, Ohio State Football from Cleveland.com. Go to YouTube and just search Ohio State Football Cleveland.com. You'll find our YouTube channel. Subscribe to that channel. Bill and I are doing stand up videos there. We have videos of players and coaches talking. Bill has video there from Ohio State's practice today, some Tate Martell stuff. Go watch those videos. Again, read our stuff at cleveland.com slash OSU. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes and anywhere else. And uh, come back the next couple days. So we're recording this Tuesday night. 
We'll do it again Wednesday. We'll do it again Thursday. And then the game will be played Friday night. And before we go to bed after the game Friday, unless we're really zonked. It's going to be pretty late. Yeah, it's going to be pretty late. We're both – we have later flights on Saturday, so we would have time to do it Saturday morning when we wake up. We won't have a podcast Friday, but we'll have one Saturday wrapping up the game. So this is Tuesday. We're going to have Wednesday, Thursday, and then one on Saturday wrapping up the game. And then we'll continue with the weekly podcasts when we get into the offseason. He's Bill Landis. I'm Doug Lee Maurice. Thanks to you guys for listening. And that was Buckeye Talk.